Hello everyone, it's Mark Goddick here. Welcome to the NT Pod, the podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 102, and today we're asking, has Q been discovered? Okay, I admit that the title of today's episode is a little bit clickbaity and a bit cheeky, given that I'm known, if unknown for anything, as being somebody who's really sceptical about the existence of Q. But it has to be said that occasionally when rumours of Q's discovery emerge, my heart might skip a beat, one beat maybe. And recently there was the publication of a really fascinating new papyrus fragment, which has the rather undramatic name P. Oxy 5575. There's been some anticipation about this publication for quite some while because people knew that this existed, but it's been it's been ages until we've actually been able to get a look at it. It's been sitting around in Oxford for some decades. It was recently sold to the Museum of the Bible, but then it's found its way back to the Egyptian Exploration Society again. And there's a whole fascinating story to be told there. Not one that I want to tell today, but perhaps on a future occasion. But finally, the piece was published on August the 31st, a couple of weeks ago, in volume 87 of the Oxyrhynchus Papyri. Now, for those of you not familiar with the Oxyrhynchus Papyri, they're just an astonishing collection of tons and tons of old fragments of all sorts of things. Poetry of Sappho, land lists, gospels material. You might remember that the first three views, little little pieces of the Gospel of Thomas that we got to see before the whole Coptic Thomas was discovered in 1945 were from Oxyrhynchus and from the turn of the century. And there was a previous episode of the NT Pod some years ago which looked at how the, those Oxyrhynchus papyri of Thomas were, were uh, discovered. Well, this is one of those. It's really small. It's only nine centimetres by three centimetres. So we're looking at something that's actually tiny. But for something so tiny, it really is interesting. Before it was published, we had the following blurb. And the editors of this volume said that among the theological texts that they were publishing, three are of exceptional interest. And the one we're talking about today is 5575. And they described it as an early copy of sayings of Jesus corresponding in part to the canonical gospels of Matthew and Luke and in part to the apocryphal gospel of Thomas. And as soon as that was published, I started getting messages from people, things like, Mark, I think Q's been discovered, the game's up. Could this be could this be Q? And so naturally I was quite interested about it. Could it be a fragment of the long lost Q? And for those that don't know about Q, it's a hypothetical text which forms the basis of lots of sayings material, though it's not just sayings material, but lots of sayings material in Matthew and Luke. It's part of the two source theory solution to the synoptic problem. Previous podcast on that, lots of them. Well, it seemed to me unlikely just on the basis of that description that this new fragment would look like like Q is reconstructed to look because of that bit about the Gospel of Thomas. Thomas is a sayings gospel, but its synoptic parallels aren't, parallels aren't just with the so-called Q material. They're with every strand of synoptic material, as I argued in my book on the Gospel of Thomas. They're with Mark's gospel. They're with the stuff that's unique to Matthew, the stuff that's unique to Luke. They even It even has material that is that crosses boundaries across those things. But nevertheless, I really wanted to see it. And on the day of publication, August the 31st, I was desperate to get my hands on it as soon as I could. Before I could get my hands on it, I read the brilliant article by Candida Moss in the Daily Beast, which sets the scene for this new, newly published fragment. And the details about that you'll find in the programme notes, as always. Now, the fragment is dated by its editors 
Geoffrey Fish, Daniel Wallace and Michael Holmes to the middle of the second century, which makes it very interesting if that's true. You always have to be careful with these datings because the datings are done on the basis of paleography, of, of comparing the handwriting in this text with known examples that you can date from other texts. But it could be second century and, 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 and even if it's not second century, it's still early. I mean, this is really, really early for, for such an interesting fragment. So what does it say? I'll, I'll read out to you the content in a kind of reconstruction and an English translation. It's basically using the editor's translation, but I've, I've expanded it a little bit to provide words that probably were there just so that I'm not going dot, 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 dot all the time. So it begins, he died. It's just, just that little bit. And then it goes on. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For I tell you, unless you fast from the world, you will never find the kingdom. And unless you take a Sabbath from the world, you will never see the Father. Consider the birds, how they neither sow nor reap, and your heavenly Father feeds them. You also, therefore, should not worry. Consider the lilies, how they grow. Solomon in his glory was not clothed like one of these. The father clothes grass which dries up and is thrown into the oven. He will clothe you too. You also therefore, and here I will have to go dot dot dot, for your father knows what you need. Instead seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Now lots of that is based on some really clever reconstruction work that the editors of this document did along with lots of other people that worked on it. One guy, Ben Henry, who works on these Oxyrhynchus fragments contributed lots of suggestions here and, and it, it, the work they've done is absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's really breathtakingly good. But nevertheless, lots of these things are, are guesses. We don't know for certain exactly what the fragment would have said. And of course, it's only a fragment of a larger whole. But straight away, what you can see, it turns out it can't be Q. Yes, it has clear parallels to material that is designated double tradition, i.e. material that's in Matthew and Luke. The specific passage, you might recognise it, is Matthew 6, 25 to 33, which is paralleled in Luke 12, 22 to 31. It's a piece of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and it's a piece of the travel narrative in Luke. And it's that stuff about consider the birds of the air, consider the lilies of the field, this kind of stuff. So, that might make you think, oh gosh, perhaps this is a bit of cute. But then it also includes a quotation from Thomas 27, or at least a parallel to Thomas 27, and a piece of Thomas 63. And those are not normally attributed to Q. I suppose you could say, though, that maybe those sections were in Q when we just didn't know it. And of course, that's possible. But there's a clearer reason why it can't be Q. And, that it's, and it's that there's verbatim material in Matthew and Luke here, that the fragment does not appear to have, or there are things that it words differently. And that means you would still need to postulate another source for Matthew and Luke here than this particular work. So that doesn't really get you anywhere. You're back to the starting point if, if you have to say that, okay, well, they used this source and then they used another one as well that looks more like the Q that we generally reconstruct. So, so it doesn't appear to be Q, but if it's not Q, what is it? Of course, it's too small to know if it's actually a whole sayings gospel. Like I said, it's just nine and a bit centimetres by three and a bit centimetres. And it's too small to know whether it's just a bit of Jesus's sayings that are embedded in a larger narrative gospel like Matthew or Luke. Or could it even be an early church writer who's excerpting material and harmonising? All of these things are possibilities. I think one thing I would want to stick my neck out and say is it does look like the author of this fragment, or at least the author of the work that this fragment is a witness of, knows Luke's gospel. And the reason for that is the order of material. 
Luke is unique in putting the parable of the rich fool straight before this material about not worrying. So we go straight from Luke 12, 16 to 21, that's the parable of the rich fool, into this material about consider the birds, consider the lilies, and so on. The parable of the rich fool does occur in the Gospel of Thomas, in the Gospel of Thomas 63, but there it doesn't come where this stuff about consider consider the birds and the lilies comes. It comes elsewhere in Thomas, in Thomas 36. So it looks like this fragment shares something really important with Luke, Luke 12, which is that specific order. Now that's still tentative because the idea that we've got the rich fool parable at the beginning of the piece is based solely on half of one word and it's the word he died, apethanen in, in, in Greek, but, but it, it's solely that one word. But it's a word that's not very common in the synoptic gospels so it's it's quite possible that that actually is something that, that the, the writer is, is pulling out of um, Luke chapter 12. But equally, the writer has to know Matthew's gospel because there's lots of parallels here to material that's only in Matthew. And this fragment several times uses the term father, and it seems to like the term heavenly father, which is very characteristic of Matthew. So it looks like that material is probably drawn from Matthew's gospel. So I'm willing to bet that the fragment has some knowledge of both Matthew and Luke. The curious question, though, is does the author of the piece also know the Gospel of Thomas and has he combined Matthew and Luke with Thomas here? Or could it be that the fragment predates Thomas? Could it be that the Gospel of Thomas pulls something from this? Does the Gospel of Thomas know this or another related work? All these are quite exciting and quite intriguing possibilities. And, and like I said, it, it's so small that you only have to make guesses here. But guesses are fine. I mean, I sometimes say that when people charge me or other scholars with being speculative, I say, look, quite often our choice is to speculate or to go ignorant. So let's speculate and have some fun with it. As long as we recognize that it, it's something that we have to be humble about because every guess can be corrected by, by later discoveries. I mean, how similar is this piece to Thomas? It's really curious. One aspect is very similar to the Gospel of Thomas, and that's that the fragment seems to avoid using the term God. The editors describe it as having a studied avoidance of the term God, theos in Greek. And that's true. There's no references to God in the, in the fragment that we've got. Instead, he keeps saying the word Father, as I was mentioning. Now, that's rather like the Gospel of Thomas. I mentioned that it's like Matthew, because Matthew has this Father language a lot, but Matthew also has God language. Luke has lots of God language, but Thomas really rarely has God language. Thomas prefers to talk about Father. And then on the other hand, there's an aspect of this fragment that's not very Thomasine, which is that it has a reference to Solomon. It has this line, Solomon in all his glory. That comes straight out of Matthew 6 and Luke 12. And the reason that that's not very Thomasine is that Thomas doesn't generally have characters from the Hebrew Bible. The only character that he mentions is Adam, and he has no Moses, no David, no Solomon, no Isaiah. He just doesn't refer to these Old Testament characters. Whereas this piece does, and so it looks much more like Matthew and Luke at that point. So it's a curious fragment because it has these commonalities with Matthew, Luke, and Thomas, but it also has these interesting differences as well. I mean, I can't help wondering if this is some kind of fascinating hybrid work, a little bit like another early Christian gospel that we only have in fragmentary form, the Edgerton Gospel, which, I mean, the Edgerton Gospel looks like a combination between the Synoptic Gospels and John, possibly even on a journey from the Synoptics to John. That's what some people think. This 
piece looks like it could be like synoptics combined with Thomas. And maybe if we had more of it, we'd find it, it, re- it references all sorts of other material and other traditions and so on. All in all, though, I think I would just want to say this is just a fascinating piece. And it reminds us that the reality in antiquity was often a bit more complex than our simple models allow. You know, I mean, when we draw those nice simple diagrams of synoptic relations, we have to do it in a simple way because you're mapping something, you're, you're creating models of things. And if your model is hopelessly complex, it doesn't actually end up explaining anything. And it, it particular, in particular, it doesn't explain the complexity of, of the ancient world. But sometimes it's good to have a reminder that the reality was a bit more complex, isn't it? Now, I did begin today's episode with a rather cheeky question has Q been discovered? And of course, when you pose questions like that, the answer is always no. It's a bit like when the BBC said, is this the face of Jesus in 2001? And the answer was no, no, it absolutely isn't. <laughs> and uh, and actually, that's a topic for a future episode of the podcast. I want to tell the story about that. But um, to, that to one side, what if, what if Q was discovered one day? I mean, what would happen then? I mean, people actually ask me this question all the time, and it's a really difficult one to answer. I mean, I suppose the most straightforward answer is, well, I'll look like a right Charlie for starters. But I think, if I'm honest, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think Luke really did copy from Matthew. And in general, whenever you get reports of Q's rediscovery, they turn out to be greatly exaggerated. Well, thanks for listening to this latest episode of the NT Pod. It's always good to have your company. You can find me on the web at podacre.blogspot.com or just Google for the NT Pod. You can find this also on Amazon, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts or on my YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.